Father, we exalt you tonight. We bless you. We magnify you. Father, we extol you. We reverence you. Father, we give glory and honor to your name. Father, we're so thankful for all that you've done to redeem us, to save us. We're so glad to be saved, to be born again by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your word says, draw water with joy from the well of salvation. Father, we're so glad to be saved. So glad our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So glad to have another opportunity to hear from the life-giving word of God. And Father, your word thrills us. Your word leaves us in awe. Your word is alive. It's living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Your word, Father God, is able to discern between our soul and our spirit. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Your word has the answer to every human condition, to every human ailment, to every situation, circumstance, to every unsolved problem, your word has the answer. Your word, Father, never fails to accomplish the purpose for which you send it. Tonight, you've got a purpose for the word. And we thank you that your word sets us free. Your word empowers us. You said man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you. You have a word for people tonight in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the great Holy Ghost. He's our helper tonight. Oh, we thank you for the Holy Ghost. Where would we be without the mighty, mighty spirit of God? Father, he's our comforter. He's our counselor. He's our strengthener. He's our divine encourager. He's our consoler. Father God, he's our standby. He's our advocate. Father, thank you for the Holy Ghost. Like two rails on a train track tonight. Father, feed your people. Speak to every listening ear. Those who are listening online or through some other venue, speak. To those who are here in this service, speak. Father, we thank you for your power and willingness to speak to your people. Guide, instruct, encourage, correct, whatever's necessary tonight. Father, we yield ourselves to you. Thank you for unction. Thank you for utterance tonight. Father, we thank you for our pastors that you've set over this place. Thank you for all of the Hagen family. Thank you for your blessings on every one of them. So we give you all the glory in advance. We give you all the honor in advance. We thank you. Father, for your word and what shall be accomplished and wrought in our midst. And we give it all the glory in Jesus' name. We pray it and we believe it. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. How many was glad when they said, let's go to the house of God? Amen. Hey, let's thank our entire worship team for leading us into the presence of God. You can have your seat. We say it, but it's not a cliche. We appreciate every one of them. We appreciate them coming. Everybody has a supply of the Spirit, and they bring their supply of the Spirit to the service, and it's awesome to stand in the presence of God and to worship. And as a minister, it's awesome to have that type of of ministry before you get up to to minister, to just enter into God's presence. So we thank, give them another big hand. We appreciate them. We thank God for them. Tonight, Uh, If you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 22. I'm reading from the New Living Translation tonight. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. While you're turning to Genesis chapter 22, I want to share a story with you. It's a true story. Uh, When I was in college, you know, this past uh, week, uh, Tony and I had the thrill, the privilege to uh, go back to New Jersey, where I'm from. I'm a Jersey boy from New Jersey. And, uh, oh, man, we had such a fantastic time. We, uh, uh, Tony had some real pizza, uh, some Jersey pizza. <laughs> uh, we were in uh, Philadelphia and New Jersey and then up in the Bronx, New York. And, and uh, then I 
Uh, oh man, in Philadelphia, I went to Geno's and had a real cheesesteak. <laughs> we had a great time. We weren't doing that. We were preaching. We preached Saturday night and, uh, and uh, twice on, on, uh, on Sunday morning. And, um, but uh, once we were done with our preaching assignments, I took Tony uh, to see my aunt up in the Bronx, New York. And then I, I took her to Rutgers University where I went to college and where I got born again. And uh, everything that happened to me with the Lord happened on that campus. And it was so nostalgic to be back on that campus again and to walk those, uh, that, that, the, you know, those different areas and think of all the goodness of God to me and all the great things that happened to me on that campus. And, um, and so, uh, but while I was there, I was um, nurtured, if you will, uh, uh, discipled by a group called Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, the guy who discipled me, we're still in touch today. We still memorize scripture today. All these years later, George McGovern, and George used to be the chaplain for the, uh, uh, the New York Mets, and he was a chaplain for the uh, New York Giants for many, many years. Uh, he doesn't serve in that capacity now, but uh, just a great guy. And, um, and uh, so, you know, all of my uh, learning and initial instruction came from Campus Crusade for Christ. And... Um, Years later, after I had obviously been born again, left uh, Rutgers, I was here in Tulsa, and uh, a dear friend of mine had passed away, and I went to the service, and outside the service over at Floral Haven, there were some personal effects of that individual that were on display. And as I was looking at those personal effects, I bumped into a gentleman also viewing those personal effects of my dear friend, and um, we got to talk, and just, he was from out of town, had flown in just for the service, and Somehow we found a Campus Crusade for Christ connection, and my dear friend, her family had uh, served with Campus Crusade, and her family knew Campus Crusade's probably most well-known speaker for many, many years was a guy named Josh McDowell, a guy who's written many, many books, a famous Christian apologist, someone who defends and speaks powerfully on behalf of the authenticity of Scripture and the gospel and the resurrection of Christ. And um, so... He, Josh has written books, The Resurrection Factor, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And anyway, so I, we're looking at the personal effects of this individual and the person next to me, we strike up a conversation, somehow it leads to Campus Crusade. And I said, um, I started talking about something I'd heard Josh McDowell say decades before. And I shared with him because he said, I traveled with Josh McDowell. He said, Josh McDowell and I, we traveled into Iran and some of the other uh, uh, mainly Muslim countries, and we preached the gospel, and he had gone on several missions trips, uh, just he and Josh McDowell and a team that served them. And so that fascinated me, and I shared one of Josh's stories that Josh had shared when I was a student. And so I said, Josh shared a story that with me that always impressed me. He said, what, what was it? I said, he talked about how I, I was a student, he was speaking somewhere, and he said, I always wanted a Model T automobile. He said, I've just been fascinated just by the, the initial technology of it all and just how it was put together and just the value of the Model T. He said, I always wanted a Model T automobile. And he said, somehow or another in life, I began, he was telling us as students, he said, I began to ask the Lord, Lord, I'd sure love to have a Model T. And he began to ask the Lord to, to, that somebody would bless and give him a Model T. And then he shared in his story when I was a student, he said, the day came when someone gave me a Model T, and I'm not talking about a, a, a tiny replica. I'm talking about the car. Someone gave him an antique car, the, the Model T. 
And he said he'd come in off the road and he'd be polishing that Model T and just wiping it down with a little rag. He'd be under it, just fascinated by how technology back then, you know, how they put that car together. And he said, I was always under that Model T, just dusting it, just checking on it. And he said, I'd come in from the road speaking for the Lord. I'd go right to the garage, get under that Model T and just start tinkering around. And he said, somehow or another, that thing meant so much to me. And he said, the day came when the Lord told me, I want you to give that away. Oh man, give away a Model T. And he said, but he knew it was the Lord. And so he did it. He gave the Model T away. And he was talking about in his message back then, as I was a student, don't let anything ever come between you and the Lord. Don't let anything become an idol to you and God. God wants us to have nice things. God wants to bless us. God wants to provide all of our needs, but never allow anything to become an idol between you and God. Not a person, not an inanimate object. Nothing should ever come between you and the Lord. And he said, that Model T came between me and the Lord. And the Lord told me to give it away and he gave it away. And that so impressed me as a student that he would do that. And so I'm sharing this story now, fast forward decades later, with somebody who traveled with him in ministry, who knew him personal. And so he said, yes, that's a true story, what you're you're telling me, what he he told you in that example. He said, but you you know the rest of this story, don't you? And I said, well, I, I I thought that's the end of the story. He said, oh, no, that's not the end of the story at all. He said, Josh did give away the Model T. But then God saw the purity of his heart and God gave him so many Model T's and antique cars, he had to build a warehouse garage to to store all the antique cars that God gave him. (laughs) My friend, has God ever asked you to give up something? Can I tell you this, that God... He just doesn't want anything to exist between you and him. God wants to bless us. God wants you and I to have nice things. God wants you and I to enjoy life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God wants to bless you and I, and he enjoys the prosperity of his servants, and he enjoys it when we're living good and enjoying life. Yeah, God has made a way for that to happen. He's the source of all of that. I said, that's his will. But on the other hand, he doesn't want you and I to let anything be more important to us than him. I wish I had a bigger amen than that. He doesn't want a motorcycle to be more important than him. He doesn't want time at the beach to be more important than him. I wish I had a bigger amen than that. He doesn't want time with an RV to be more important than him. He doesn't want golf to be more important than him. And so if God ask someone to give something up, it's typically because he wants to teach them, to help them, to to strengthen them, to mold them so that nothing will exist between them and him. But just like he did for Josh, he had to build a warehouse to to house all the cars that God had given him. This message tonight is entitled, The Test of Your Faith. I wonder if you'd say that out loud. Help me with that title. The Test of Your Faith. There are times, my brother and sister, when our faith as believers gets tested. Now, not to be confused with times when our faith, uh, when we're tempted in our faith, because there's a difference between the testing of faith and tempting our faith. Are you with me there? Can can I say that? So let's go first. We're in Genesis 22, and I'm going to read real quickly out loud. So you read real quickly, silently. And I'm going to read this story really quick because then we're going to make 
five brief points and get out of the way tonight. We're in Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Everybody say your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham said to the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther and we will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will supply a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, And they both walked on together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up a knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its thorns in a thicket. And so he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place Yahweh Yaira, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, the people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities and their enemies. And through uh, your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. And then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba where Abraham continued to live. I tell you, this is a powerful story. No doubt you've read this before. Chapter 22 is a, um, it is a, a chapter that's like a tapestry that foreshadows and that tells a deeper story than the one being told. Certainly, everything that is said here is actually what happened. That is the account. But there's a deeper meaning behind this scripture And here in Genesis 22, we find this whole chapter foreshadows the death and the resurrection of God's dearly and only son. It foreshadows God's complete plan of redemption. And whether or not you know it and whether or not you can see it, your name and your face is all over Genesis chapter 22. And I hope tonight you'll take a closer look that you will see in the tapestry that God has laid out 
that he has you there, you and I, the entire body of Christ is, is covered. And, 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 and in this foreshadowing of the death and resurrection of Christ, um, the, 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 what God has done for us and the inheritance that God has given to us is so clearly seen. Uh, this past uh, weekend when I was preaching in, in New Jersey, uh, during one of the early services, my cousin drove down from the Bronx and sat, came to the service. And then uh, that, was this, no, that was a 6 p.m. service Saturday night. And then Sunday morning at 9, I was speaking again. And, and uh, another cousin, my cousin Beverly, came down and sat, tapped me on the shoulder just before I went to the platform and hadn't seen her in years. And then, uh, and then uh, at the 11 o'clock service, one of my best friends went to Ramah with him and his wife. They drove in from Philadelphia to that service and uh, were just sitting in the service when I started preaching at 11. And, uh, but those friends from Philadelphia, they're so precious. I told the congregation I was speaking to, these people right here t- talking about my friends, that uh, when I, I bought a new house in 2017 and um, we had been talking on the phone slightly before I bought that house and somehow or another, I don't remember the conversation, they told me, uh, you were talking about Acts chapter 8 the Ethiopian eunuch, the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch. And they said, we had almost an hour conversation about that. He was translated after that. And, and uh, they were in downtown center city, Philadelphia after that conversation. And um, I had just bought this house and they saw a painting of uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. And it had been painted in such a way with layers, with tapestry, so that if you look at the picture one way, you see Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. And then if you look at the picture at a different angle, you see the eunuch coming out of the water. And then if you look at another angle, he's completely out of the water with his hands raised. And it was just a, they saw it in center city, Philadelphia. They bought it. They had it matted and framed. They were going to ship it to me, but they thought it might get cracked. So they rented a car, an SUV, and drove it to my house, surprised me. And that hangs in my dining room today. Yeah, really good friends. But depending on the angle that you look at that picture, you can see Philip in one way. If you look at the picture one way and look a little bit different, you see him another way. When you look at Genesis 22, we see the story that unfolds here. But look another way because your face, your story is in this chapter. Let's look a little bit deeper. First of all, first of all, uh, as, as we read here, God tells Abraham to do the unthinkable to give up his son, something that Abraham has wanted for years, the promised blessing of his son. It it, it took years to come into manifestation, but God spoke it. It's like we were singing in that song. You said it. We were singing in the song during service tonight. You said it and I believe it. You said it and it is done move the impossible. Listen, our God is a God who can do anything but fail. Nothing is too hard for him. And I don't care what kind of problem you're facing tonight. Nothing is too hard for God. And here in this story, the very thing he wanted, Isaac has been born. Oh, and then the Lord tells him, I want you to take your one and only son. And I want you to take him to Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him there. Now, God never intended for Abraham to lay a hand on this boy. The test of his faith here, God never intended for him to lay a hand on, 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 on his boy. And let me just say this. Keep your finger there right quick. Uh, keep your finger here in, in 22. Run with me to, to James chapter 1. Let me just 
give you some scripture because, listen, uh, there's a difference between the testing of our faith and the tempting of our faith. And in James chapter 1, I just want to clarify this real quick and give you some scripture uh, because I know I'm moving quick tonight and I don't want to neglect to say this. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Slip down in Genesis chapter 1 to verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, everybody say tempted. When you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never, God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. What's it saying there? That, listen, God doesn't tempt anybody. Now, there are temptations that come, the Bible says here, just from our, even from our flesh. Uncontrolled flesh can produce temptations. And then there's the source of all sources of temptation, Satan himself. He's a tempter. Now, when Satan tempts someone, his goal, his desire is to get the person to fall. His goal, his desire is to get the person to give up. His goal, his desire is to get the person to quit. And that's exactly the reason you cannot quit tonight. That, that is Satan's goal. You know, over in uh, Job chapter 2 and chapter 3, Satan attacked Job with those boils and sickness. And, and, and then what did his wife say? You know what she told Job? She said, curse God and die. That was Satan's goal. It was Satan who attacked Job. It was Satan who wanted Job to quit. We're not talking about that. That's a whole different sermon. Is that all right? There is the reality of Satan's temptation. We're not talking about that part tonight. We're talking about in this story, it was God who tested Abraham's faith. Now, go back with me to Genesis 22. We're back here in 22. And um, the first thing God told him to do is in verse uh, 2, he says, go to the land of Moriah. Go to the land of Moriah. And he says, uh, go and sacrifice him, your, your son, your only son, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. You know where Moriah was? Moriah is where Jerusalem was built. Moriah is where the temple, the, the, the temple of God was built on the mountain of Moriah. Moriah is where Solomon built the temple, Mount Moriah. Uh, the Second Chronicles 3.1, we're not going there, but if you wanted some extra scripture, Second Chronicles 3.1 will tell you that's, that's where Solomon built the temple. That's where David stood in the presence of God. And, and God told David he would allow his son to build the temple. That was all Mount Moriah. And so, um, okay, why are you saying that? Because in this culture, there were there, there, the, the, the Satan and demonic aspects of this culture were common that people serving idols and demons uh, would sacrifice their children to the false god, small g, Molech. So it was not uncommon in, in this culture, in this day, for, for parents to sacrifice their children. Not Israel. God's people, ne God never required that of his people. 
but, but the demonic culture around God's people, they sacrificed their children oftentimes to a false god named Molech. And it looks initially like God's asking Abraham to do something like that. And here in this story, in this tapestry, listen, in verse 2, and then you see it again uh, in, uh, in verse 12, uh, the Bible says, take your son, your only son, whom you love so much. It's mentioned here in verse 2 and verse 12 that this is his only son. It is a foreshadowing to God sending and giving up, sacrificing the life of his only dearly beloved son. Oh, man. And um, it, is a, it is a foreshadowing of our, of our redemption. Let me say five things to you really quickly about this story that, that uh, have to do with the test of faith, that have to do with the test of faith. Number one, if we're going to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, uh, to overcome and to achieve and to be successful in the test of faith, um, number one, we have to comply and obey. Where do you get that from? Verse three, the next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him. That is such a powerful scripture to me. Here God tells him in verse 1 and 2, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son, the son you love. God knew what Abraham went through because God gave his son. But he gave his son for you and I. Now, me personally, I I have two amazing sons. And if I had to give my sons for somebody's redemption, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I can just tell you, I, just me personally, I, I would not do that. When we think of the amazing love of the father has for you and I, that he literally gave his son for us. We are love children of a love God. The first thing necessary to be successful in the test of faith is to comply. Number one, comply. What does that mean to obey? Isaiah 119 says, if we be willing and obedient, we'll do what? We'll eat the good of the land. It's so impressive to me because Abraham gets up the next morning after getting that instruction from God. I would have been dragging my feet. I would have been thinking about all the things in my busy schedule that I don't have time to do that. Abraham got up the next morning and headed out to obey God. Slow obedience is no obedience, my friend. And one of the things that's necessary to to be successful in the test of faith is to comply comply to obey. Secondly, the second thing necessary is to repeat our confession, to repeat our confession. Each of these is going to start with a C. Where do you get that? Verse five, uh, Abraham said there, stay here. He told the people who were with him, stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. Isn't that awesome? Abraham was already thinking by faith. He was already speaking by faith. And and he was already saying, if God takes this boy, God's going to raise him back up because God made me a promise and God's not a promise breaker. God is a promise keeper. And and God is looking for somebody tonight who'll say, God, you promised to take care of me. You promised to provide for me. And I don't, I may not know how, but I know I'm going to make it because I got a promise from your word. God's looking for somebody who will stand on the word and honor him and say, Father, you always keep your word. 
If you made a promise, you'll do it. If you said it, we sang it a moment ago. If you said it, you'll do it. God is honored when we stand on his word. And Abraham, was, he told the people with him, you stay right here. We're going over there and worship, and then he and I are going to come back. And when you read, really, you don't, we don't have time to turn here, but I'll give you the scripture. It's Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. Write this down. Hebrews chapter 11, 17 through 19. It tells us what Abraham was thinking at this very moment. It says in Abraham's mind, here's what he was thinking. God would never break his promise so that if God took that boy's life, God was going to raise that. He fully expected God to raise that boy back up. Yeah. And so, uh, so number one, we have to comply if we're going to overcome and, and be successful in the test of faith. Number two, we have to repeat our confession. Abraham was making confessions right when they were saying, uh, you know, they were, I'm sure they were looking, where are you going? I mean, uh, uh, where's the sacrifice? You don't have the sacrifice? Abraham said, me and the boy, we're going to go and, and worship. And me and the boy, we're going to come back. Strong confession. Number three, you have to control your thoughts. You'll notice each of these start with a C. You say, where do you get that from? You have to control your, your, control your thoughts. Verse seven. Isaac turned to Abraham, and one of the toughest conversations must have been a tough conversation here. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Oh my goodness, can you imagine this conversation? A dad and his boy, and Abraham knows that boy is the sheep, that boy is the offering? Oh my. But my point is you have to control your thoughts. He was asking, where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And sometimes when we go through things, my brother and sister, we get to asking, where is this? You might be asking, where's the money for the rent? You might be asking, God, where's the money for my tuition? God, how am I going to make my car payment? God, where's my mortgage payment coming from? God, how am I going to make it through this month? God, how's how's bread going to get on our table? How's the roof going to stay over our head? You might have questions like Isaac had for Abraham. But that's when you have to, third point, control your thoughts. My friend, do you know wrong thinking is the greatest enemy to the church? Somebody said, well, that devil is the greatest enemy. No, the devil is an enemy to the church. He's certainly an enemy of the church, but he's defeated already. We, we, we have to overcome our wrong thinking. I said, I wish I had a bigger amen. I said, wrong thinking can lead to wrong believing and wrong believing will hinder us from receiving what God has. Wrong thinking is the greatest enemy to the church. Satan is certainly an enemy, certainly. But we have to control our thoughts. And Abraham would have been tempted to think about how, how am I going to complete this sacrifice? How am I? But we already know he was thinking and walking in faith. And if you're going to overcome the test of faith, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to control your, you're going to have to control your thoughts. Number three, number, number four, number four, stand on your commitment. Say, where do you get that? Verse 10. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, uh, Abraham replied, I'm here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Abraham stood on his commitment. The thing which he did not want to happen was about to happen. And he took the dagger to do what he thought God was telling him to do, even though God never intended for him to harm that boy. It reminds me of, write this down, Daniel three seventeen and 18. We're not going there, but Daniel three seventeen and 18. You know what that is? That's the Hebrew boys. And they're telling uh, the king that they're not going to bow to his statue. And, and they say in, in 17, uh, our God, whom we serve continually day and night, he'll deliver us from the fiery furnace. 
But then in verse 18, Daniel 3, 18, that's the one. Even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to serve you. See, a lot of people have faith, but not a lot of people have commitment. I wish I had a bigger amen here. We need faith and commitment tonight. And, and, and when something doesn't work out the way you want, then you need to rely on your commitment to Christ. For some people, when things don't work out right, that's when they stop going to church. Something don't go right, they stop going to school. Something don't go right, they stop paying their tithes. Something don't go right, they don't want to go to Bible study no more. And when the test of faith comes to you, and that may be, that may be something, that may be a, t- a temptation Satan is doing to you. But, but the, the point is, don't give up your faith in God. And even if things don't work the way you thought they should, live by your values. When you live by your values, you live by what you believe. You act on what you believe, not on what you feel. So many people today act on what they feel. It's it's only about what they feel. If I feel healed, then I'll act act like it. If I feel blessed, then I'll act prosperous. If I feel feel like I got something, if I can feel it, then I'll do it. No, that's the Thomas kind of faith. But the Abraham kind of faith says, I'm going to act on what I know. I'm going to act on the promises of God's word. God is not a man. God cannot lie. And when you base your actions on what you believe, well, you'll overcome the test of faith every single time. Abraham based his actions on what he believed. And number five, number five, live by your character. Because when you read verse 14, it says, Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Oh, man, he lived and made all his decisions based on what he believed. Overcoming the test of faith means complying. Number one, you have to comply. Number two, you have to repeat your confession, your strong confession of faith. Number three, you have to control your thoughts. Number four, you have to stand on your commitment. Number five, you have to live by your character. In the end, give you one more scripture and we'll run. In Galatians 3, 29, the scripture, again, bears witness to our connection. In Galatians 3, 29, it says this. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Say that with me. God's promise to Abraham belongs to me. Say it again. God's promise to Abraham belongs to me. And when you have time, you ought to read Genesis 12, verses 3 and 4, where God says, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. It was God who prospered Abraham. It was God who opened doors for Abraham. It was God who miraculously touched Abraham and Sarah's body so that they could have a child. It was God. And God says, listen, the same promise I gave to Abraham, that same promise you've inherited if you're in Christ tonight. God is good tonight. And there may come sometime a test of your faith, but don't quit. Don't give up. Something didn't go your way. Okay, that happens to all of us. If you've lived for Christ long enough, then you already know sometimes, sometimes, sometimes unexplainably, sometimes things don't always go according to plan. Thank God for the thousands and thousands upon thousands of times that they do. 
But there's times every now and then when things don't go according to plan. And when something doesn't go according to plan in your life, that's not the time to cut bait and run. That's the time to stand on what you believe. And when you stand on what you believe, then you'll overcome in life every single time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your encouragement. Thank you for helping your people today. Father, touch, heal, deliver, straighten out wrong thinking. Father, thank you for your blessings in our life. Thank you for the reality of prosperity even. Thank you for how you've made a way and opened doors. You've done the impossible. You've done the unthinkable. You've, you've done so many things for us, and we thank you for it. Tonight, someone's faith may be tested, and we thank you for encouraging them to stay strong, stay, strong, stay true, and stay connected to your word. Father, someone else may be going through severe trials and temptations. Father, we thank you for encouraging them, strengthening them, uplifting them, helping them, whatever the case may be. Touch and help and strengthen your people tonight. And when the test of faith comes, may we all gain great endurance. May we all grow in our faith. And Father, may each victory help us another victory to win. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.